I pray. Father, I pray that the melody that we just raised to you was a delight to your ears. You are the God who is faithful above all else, the one true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are faithful. Oh, Lord God, open our eyes to see whatever is before us today. Morning by morning, your mercies are new. Open our eyes to see you more greatly, to praise you, Father. Even in the storm, you are faithful, and we bless you. And so we make our prayers. We come and open this glorious ancient text of yours. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive your fullness this day. I pray that you would transform us more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there's a question that I find myself asking a lot these days. It's a question that can be asked in countless scenarios throughout the week. It's a question that challenges one to think deeply about consequences of doing something or not doing something. It's a question that you can ponder on your own, and it's a question that at times we probably need to ask our good friends. It's a three-word question, simple words, but when we ask them with sincere hearts can make a profound change and difference in what's ahead. The question is this. What's at stake? What's at stake? Let me give you a few examples. What's at stake if I don't work out and choose after dinner to eat a bag of M&Ms? I don't know where that example came from, but (laughs) what's at stake if you don't seek to resolve conflict with someone with whom you're in conflict? What's at stake if you choose to harbor resentment towards someone Think about what's at stake if you don't have friends in your life who, can, who you can be tremendously open and honest with. What's at stake? That question also brings me, uh, comes to mind when I think about the church today. What's at stake? What's at stake? What's at stake if one doesn't hold to the life-giving truths of the Scriptures? What's at stake if one chooses to pick and choose what one wants to believe and and tearing out or taking out those places, those passages that are uncomfortable or maybe offensive? What's at stake if we don't see the whole of God's Word as His life-giving truth? Friends, a lot is at stake. (laughs) You could fill in a lot of answers, but when I think about what's at stake in that particular scenario, I think about a life in relationship with God, that's at stake. I think about a life coming fully alive as God created us to be. That's at stake. I think about a life in relationship, knowing the mercies and rich love and grace of God. And I think about the restorative work that God wants to do in all our lives. I think that's what's at stake. If we take this glorious ancient word and push it aside or take parts of it to push aside, Today we're beginning a new sermon series that will carry us into the fall in the book of 1 John. And the theme title we're going to be looking at is this, Embracing Truth in Times of Insecurity. Embracing Truth in Times of Insecurity. Think about it this way. The fact that fear and anxiety are so on the rise in America today, it highlights the insecurities that many of us feel day after day. Isn't that so? 
I mean, think about it. Financial insecurities for some, societal insecurities, insecurities in the political landscape that sadly we're becoming more and more divided. A lot of insecurities are happening around us. And what I believe what we need as followers of Jesus in this day in particular is to so lean into the life-giving truth of God's Word because, friends, that's our hope. When the sand around us shakes, we have a foundation that's immovable, that is unshakable. That's what's at stake, right? And we have a message to bring, right? We, we don't need to live in fear. We've got a glorious message of a redeeming God who comes to bring new life and radically changes our lives around the life of Jesus that's what's at stake. So today, what I want to do for a few minutes is give a brief background into the history, kind of the, what, what, what caused John to write this, First uh, John, this book of First John. And then I want us to dive into the first four verses. We're just going to look at those this morning uh, by way of introduction. But I want to name this, and many of you may know this, but most scholars do believe that the person who wrote First John is the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. When you read the Gospel of John, when you read 1 John, you'll see that John in 1 John is bringing many, pulling many thoughts from the Gospel into this, into this new book that he's giving to these folks and to you and me. So it's the same author. And what we find is this. 1 John is not a letter, per se. It's rather, as some have put it, a poetic sermon. When we think of different letters in the Scriptures, we think of Paul's letters, right? And those are letters to specific churches, and they read like letters. But when you read 1 John, I want to encourage you this week, take time. It's only five chapters long. It's rather short, but it's rich. I want to encourage you to take some time to read it, and you'll see what I mean. One of the things that John is doing here is he is weaving in and out, and you'll see this three specific themes that are all throughout this short book. The themes are life truth, and love, and how we need that today. Life, truth, and love. John wrote this to encourage these new followers of Jesus, these new believers. He wrote this to encourage them to stay the course, because what was happening is there were false teachers and leaders who were coming away to subvert the truth and to try to pull them away into their own way of thinking. Now, it's important whenever we read one of the books in the Scriptures to try to understand what was the narrative going on in that time. What was the underlying story that, that, these, that these early readers, original readers, would have lived in in that time? And one of the narratives is this, one of the prominent systems of belief that these false teachers were, were, were disseminating out there was known as Gnosticism. Many of you may be familiar with that, but let me kind of describe that. There, there are many forms of Gnosticism out there, as there have been in the early church, but there's two core ideas that are seen throughout. The first is this. The first is, they would say, acquiring secret knowledge or acquiring special wisdom is needed or, or enlightened knowledge is what one needs to achieve in life. The second thing that they would say is that the material, the body itself, is evil. And so those two themes were running in the, the, the early church, and, and you see John speaking against those, and we'll see a little bit of that this morning. But the Gnostics of John's day, were they were denying the truth claims of Jesus. You see, they were saying, you've got to achieve this, this enlightened knowledge to, to, to gain salvation however you want to define it. That's what you need to do. 
And obviously that is counter to the gospel message that they had heard about Jesus. But here's where we see this even happening today. Gnostic thought is becoming more and more prevalent in our culture today, where many will say, you choose whatever is your truth. There is no absolute truth. You choose what you want to believe. You need to achieve, in a sense, an enlightened intellect, an enlightened knowledge and understanding. And whatever that's going to be for you, that will be what's most important. But here's the problem with that. If we try to come up with our own plan to deal with our human condition, if we try to devise our own system of understanding our own lives, our own brokenness, if we try to do that on our own, we're going to miss it. We're going to downplay the reality of sin, and we're not going to see the need for a Savior. You see, one of the dangers is this. We'll never experience the healing and life that God created us to have. That's what we see so much today. That's where we see a connection of life today with life in the first, uh, in the first century church. That's all by way of introduction. <laughs> Let's dive in to what John begins to show us through this beautiful text here. Two themes that I want us to see this morning. The first is this. The life-giving word was from the beginning. The life-giving word was from the beginning. Secondly, the life-giving word appeared, okay? The life-giving word was from the beginning, and the life-giving word appeared. Let's dive in and see what John wants to show us. First, the life-giving word was from the beginning. He begins the first verse with these words, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you know much about John's gospel, he is taking us right back to John chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See the connection there? So so here's what John is showing us right off the bat is this. He's pointing to the reality that Jesus was not created. Jesus wasn't created. Jesus has always existed. He's always existed as the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And he's showing us right here that which was from the beginning. He wasn't created, and he is God. Now, why is it important to know that? Why is it important to know that he was from the beginning? Well, here's one of the reasons. He wasn't something that people created. You see, what you and I create doesn't last forever, does it? It has a shelf life. It will ultimately fade away. I think about in the Old Testament when the people would would fashion idols, and they would cut a tree down and carve an idol over that, and many of them would overlay it in gold and set it on a table and say, here is our God, and expect that to speak, right? Well, what happens? Those things fade away. Those don't last forever, right? And I think the same is true for us. We We don't fashion or carve idols, do we? But there are many other things that we run to that actually become idols in our lives. We can run to financial security. We can run to our vocation, giving identity to us, right? All those things at some point will fade away. But what we see here is that Jesus is the eternal one. He has always existed. And here's why this is important. The fact of that true reality means that you and I can stake our hope in the midst of a world with a lot of insecurities, we can stake our hope in that which is the uncreated one, the one who was from the beginning. He always has been, he always will be the same God. 
here's what that means. When you wake up and circumstances that you had the night before change in an instant, friends, we need to know that there is a God who does not change. We need to know that there is a God who is unshakable when things around us begin to shake, don't we? And some of you know that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've gone through seasons like that. Maybe some of you are in the season like that. But what we need to know most of all is that there is a God who was from the beginning. And the God who was from the beginning sees us today. And he sees what our tomorrow is going to be when we don't see it. And the hope that we have, we sang it earlier in the service, is that God is here. And he knows exactly how to provide for you and me When things go from security to insecurity, friends, I want to know that there is a God who has always existed. Amen? That's the reality. That's the first thing that we see here. He is our hope in that way. The second thing that we see that that, that John opens our eyes to is that the life-giving word appeared. Listen to what he wrote in verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. And our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Now, I want you to think about what's so shocking about this statement. It's this. The one who was from the beginning, the uncreated one, came, and he took on flesh and blood. John is describing that reality to these early followers of Jesus in the early church, and he's describing the reality to you and me who didn't see him in the flesh. But he's saying he has come among us. I want you to think for a moment about that reality. Think about the reality that the uncreated one came, took on flesh and blood to live among us. That's what John is trying to describe. Think about it this way. Think about a unique experience that you've had. Maybe it's a a special place you visited. Maybe it's uh, someone captivating that you've had a conversation with. Maybe it's some exotic food that you've eaten. How would you explain that to someone who hasn't experienced what you experienced? Think about how you would explain that. That's exactly what John is doing here. We haven't experienced the same thing he has, but he's inviting us in to say, here's the reality. And again, John brings a connection from the gospel here. In in the gospel of John, John 1.14, John wrote these words, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying here is the uncreated one has come among us. There's three things John does now in this text. He opens our eyes to the three highest senses, hearing, seeing, and touch. Listen to how he describes these. I want to talk about each of them because each of them has a deeper meaning than what's at the face value on the surface. Think about hearing for a moment. John walked with Jesus. He heard him speak. He heard him speak words like you're hearing me speak. But the words that Jesus spoke were different than any words he had heard before. The words that Jesus spoke actually brought life. There's a beautiful scene in John's gospel when there were 
two temple guards standing outside the temple, and they heard Jesus speak, and they said this, no one ever spoke the way this man does. No one ever spoke the way this man does. Do you know why? Because he wasn't just speaking mere words. He was speaking life-giving words, words that bring life to you and me. I love the story on the two disciples on the road to Emmaus on that resurrection day. They're walking to Emmaus. Many of you know the story. Jesus comes along and he walks with them. They don't know it's Jesus. And they have this conversation and Jesus begins to open to them them all the Old Testament scriptures that point to who he is as the Messiah. And they invite him in. Once they get there, they invite him inside to eat and he comes and eats and then he leaves. He vanishes. And when he leaves, you know what those two disciples said? They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked? Did not our hearts burn within us? Friends, let me ask you this. When you read the scriptures, God speaking to us, does your heart burn within you? When you read it, when you read these words, are are, are you reading them and and do you see them as just black words on a white page as, as any other book would have it? Or friends, do you read this and see, no, this is the very word of God to us, that this very word brings life, like there's life in those words for you and me. I love the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us? I'm challenged at times when I read the Bible and and I read it and I close it and I just go on about my day. And I've been asking the Lord, Lord, let my heart burn within me with your word. Let it be just not another word I've read, but let it come alive, your life-giving truth. Let it be real and tangible to me. Let it pierce my heart. They heard him, not just mere words, but what he said under the words. Then he says, we saw him. And I love this. What John is conveying here, it's, it's that he didn't just look at Jesus and see him like, I can look at the table and see this table. He saw Jesus, but he saw something deeper underneath. He saw, if you will, he saw with understanding. One commentator put it this way, the word used for see here means to behold so as to grasp the meaning and significance of that which is before you, to grasp the meaning and significance. They didn't just see him as a mere man. He took on flesh and blood, but they saw him as the living God. They saw him as the eternal God who came among us. Again, there's a scene, and I think John's doing this in this passage. There's a scene in, uh, in, in John's gospel and the others on, on that resurrection Sunday where John and Peter run to the tomb once they've heard that there was no body. The body was no longer in the tomb. Remember they ran there, and John liked to tell us that he outran Peter. <laughs> But when John went in and saw the empty tomb, do you know what he said? He said, I saw and believed. I saw and believed. He didn't see the body of Jesus, but what he saw, the empty tomb, he believed that Jesus was truly who he said he was. Friends, as you read God's word, do you see Do you see Jesus? Do you see him? Do you see God in the scriptures opening our eyes to him? That's what he longs for us. John physically saw him, but he saw the greater reality. The same is true for you and me. 
You know, I can look at that cross every Sunday I walk in, and I could look at it as it's two pieces of wood nailed together. Or I can see the deeper meaning underneath the cross, and you realize that represents the cross that Jesus hung on for you and me. To see and believe, right? That's what John is getting at here. And then John says, we touched him. Now, this, again, is coming to refute the lies of the, of the Gnostics of the day, right? Because they said that, that how could God, who's holy, take on a physical body that's not? But yet they touched him. He is. He took on humanity. And this idea of the reality that he says we touched him, it's, it's not just that he, you know, touched Jesus like that. Again, there's a deeper reality that, that, that he, he felt. He knew there was something deeper. He understood as he touched him who he really was. I liken it to this. I was in Fayetteville Friday night, uh, seeing some of my kids, and we were staying at Anne Claire's house, and in a room I've never stayed in before, and she's got this four-poster bed, and it was night, it was dark. I got up in the middle of the night for something, and, and I couldn't see a thing, and there was stuff all over the room, and I had to navigate my way through, and so I held on to the posts of the four-poster bed, okay, this is the post. This is a bedpost, right? I knew, I felt that that was this. And then, okay, here's the other one. And when I came back in, so I didn't disturb Kimberly, you know, all of that. So that's, that's the idea. They, they knew, they felt, and they knew there was something more, and they knew exactly who he was. It's, again, the scene on that resurrection day when Jesus showed himself to the disciples in that upper room. He said these words, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Jesus was real. He took on flesh. He is now seated at the right hand with flesh. That is part of who he is now. Friends, here's what we need to understand. What John and the other apostles heard, what they saw, what they touched, it didn't just appeal to their rational minds. Yes, it did that. And it ought to for us at times, but I think sometimes we just stop it there where it appeals to our rational minds. If that's as far as it goes, friends, we will never come to know the reality of the saving grace of Jesus for you and me. We need to allow it to experience in our hearts this reality. This is what John is getting at here, that we would encounter the living Jesus right here, right now. See, the point is not that, that we can't see him or touch him or hear him. The point is that he has made himself known in his word. He has made himself known right here that we can encounter him. We can walk in relationship with him and know him deeply and intimately. The passage ends that we're looking at with this, verse 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, what's happening here is He's saying, when we encounter the real Jesus, the living God, we have fellowship with God. The beauty, friends, of the gospel is that Jesus came to take on flesh to be our sacrifice. So that through His death on the cross, we could be united to the Trinity and live in communion with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and know the love that is there poured out upon us, and know the forgiveness of our sins, and know the delight of a Father who sees us with great delight. I wonder if you know that. 
I wonder if you allow yourself to encounter and experience the reality that he brings us into fellowship with him, and in that we have fellowship with one another. Friends, we are the body of Christ. We are a family, all who believe in Christ. We are, as we're going to say in a moment during our communion liturgy, we are one body. We share one bread. And he is our father, that he has brought us into this glorious community. And in that, I love how John ends this section. I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our hope and our peace every day in the midst of the insecurities that we we face. So I'll end where I began. What's at stake? What's at stake if we miss this? What's at stake for us? What's at stake for the community in which we live if if we miss this and we don't bring this life-giving reality to those who do not yet know him? Think about what's at stake as you begin to dive in this glorious text of 1 John. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are the one out of the overflowing love of your heart brought your son into this world, that you knew the only way for sin to be atoned for was for your son to be the lamb, the lamb of God who was slain for us. Oh, Father, let us draw so near to your word. Let it become life to us every day as we read it, as we, as we seek to not just read it, but let it sink into our hearts and live this out. We would be your glorious light in this community. Thank you. Continue to open our eyes to see and behold your glory. And Father, as we come to the table in just a moment, And take the bread and wine, your body and your blood. In your mercy, may we so taste and see that you are good. That you have invited us sinners to come to your table and dine. Jesus, thank you for your blood. In your name we pray. Amen.